welcome to People's Church Podcast. Remembrance Day, Friday, something that we constantly uh, do year after year to keep in front of us the cost of war, that what it costs today. We were talking about this a little bit in staff and how the change in warfare also makes this a very good thing to do because now thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands can be killed in an instant. We don't live in the days of swords, in the days of arrows anymore. We live in a day when water is going to exact a huge cost on humanity. Brent already referred to it, but there's already a greater war. There's already something that has been costing far more than just thousands or hundreds of thousands of lives. It has been sin. And sin in the human heart is the root cause of every kind of infraction between us whether it's just on a friendship layer or within our families or between nations. Sin is at the root. We are told this directly. What is it that causes conflicts and quarrels amongst you? It's really simple. He says, it's what's going on in you. It's sin in you. And it's that which causes all of those things. So where's the real answers? Well, the answers are within the human heart and something that is needed within the human heart, and that is, first off, an awareness and ownership of our condition. Next, a reparation for our condition. That has happened, and that is the great news of the Christian gospel. I encourage you to invite some people along to the uh, banquet coming up. Great first exposure to just your faith and fun and a great night. But it's really important for us to recognize that the message that has changed your life is the very same message that changes the world. And it's because it's a message based on God's total love. Love today, sad to say, has lost a lot of the strength of what the word is about. We're going to try and re-strengthen it up a little bit today. Love is not certainly just some favorable feeling. In fact, love may produce sometimes not great feelings because love will go against self-service and call for self-sacrifice. In fact, we are told that without true love, anything that we try to say or do has no value. 1 Corinthians 13, an entire chapter, is given over to trying to define and give us the essence of the strength of love, that it's a costly affair to love. But that cost has huge rewards. Today I want to talk about prove me now, but prove his heart. We've been on this series based out of a phrase out of the scriptures in Malachi, prove me now. Prove his heart. I can't think of a better scripture to go to than the one we're going to start with today. And that is the story of what we call the prodigal son. We've got that title a little bit backwards, by the way. Prodigal is not something that's just, uh, in fact, you could say uh, on the bad side. Prodigal just sort of means it's excessive, excessive. If you really want to take a look at the word prodigal and apply it within the story of the pro- what we've titled the prodigal son, it was actually the father that was prodigal. He was the one that was excessive in his love, in his mercy, in his patience, uh, 
in the beauty of his faith of holding on for his son. And we find that excessive. I'm going to pick it up with just three words in Luke 15, 20. And kissed him. Have you ever tried to prove somebody's love? It's hard to prove love. It's hard to prove. To prove love because there can be so many layers that are about the manipulation or the motivations behind it. In fact, they can be things that could be very damaging. It's hard to prove love because proving love really takes time and it's going to take consistency. And every time that you test human love, you will, have, you will find its flaws. You will find where its failings will be because there is not a human that loves like God. But we can prove God and his love. In this story, Jesus is telling this to a bunch of people that were religious but divorced from this concept of God's love. They really didn't have a handle on it, both for themselves or for giving it to others. They had completely disconnected from the core of what God is. And it had cost the nation dearly. In this particular story, he tells them about a prodigal son, a wayward son, a young son who had come to his father and said, Father, Give me my inheritance now. I don't want to live here anymore. I want out. The father gave it to him. Not long after, the son left and went to a very far country. There it says he squandered it all because the only barrier he knew uh, for himself was when the money runs out, party's done. And so when it was all done, he finds himself in a bad condition. The country he's in is in a bad condition, and he's in a condition of eating the food that he luckily found the job to feed pigs. And so he began to eat the same food he was divvying out to the pigs. One morning he wakes up, and it says and he came to his senses. And when he came to his senses, it says, you know, this is absolutely nuts. I mean, the servants in my dad's house, like right now, they've got full stomachs. They've got good clothes on their back. They've got a warm bed. They've got, they've got so much. I will return to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Receive me back as a servant in your house because I don't deserve to be your son. The father is an interesting story because we find that he's the one that sees the son first. And he sees him, it says, afar off. Long ways down the road. You understand that as parents with your children. You can recognize the gait of their walk, the slope maybe of their shoulders. You can recognize their walk. And he looks down that road and sees his son returning to him. He sees his son. He literally flies off the porch, runs down the lane, runs down the road, 
throws his arms around his son and kissed him while his son is trying to blurt out the confession that he had already prepared. That phrase, and kissed him, in the Greek, a better translation, and it's in the Revised Standard column, but a better translation is, and kissed him much. You know how the Middle Eastern kisses go, right? It's like if they get excited and they hug you, you're not just getting one kiss. You're getting a kiss on this side, you're getting a kiss on this side, probably back to this side, maybe up here, maybe there. That's when you have to try to draw the line. It could even mean kissed him often. You know, a lot of times, I think sometimes we have the determination to return to the Father. And that's a good thing, to return home. But it's when you really get down to the business of actually carrying out that good resolve that you will receive the blessing of the kiss. See, when you give God an inch, he's going to grab a mile. You just come a little way, he'll see you and you're a great way off. He's going to run. He's going to run to meet you. We don't know that the prodigal saw his father, but his father saw him. And the eyes of mercy are always quicker than the eyes of repentance. Do you have eyes of mercy? Your father has great eyes of mercy. Even the eye of faith is dim when it's compared with the eye of God's love. He sees the sinner long before a sinner will see him. In fact, we were told in the scriptures that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Long before we would have had any concept of this loving God who came to give his life, shed his blood to bring forgiveness of sin. Long before that, he saw you. It has been said that slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. When you have forgiveness in your heart, it moves your feet fast. God has forgiveness in his heart for you. Your repentance might come slow on things. You might take the long road. You might take, as the Australians say, the roundabout way. You might be a while getting there, but he's not. His feet are so fast to move towards you in mercy. The moment that within your heart there is any kind of real turning. You see, the more willing that you are to own your own sin, God's willingness has always been there to forgive you. When you really do make clean breaks, God will clear 
the record. This so amazing, this mercy and this grace that we've sung about already. We're going to go through some kisses of God that scriptures bring to us. See, when the father looked down, it says he saw his son. That word saw is an interesting word. It's a great amount of truth in that one word. He saw who it was. He saw where he had come from. He saw the pig's dress. He saw the filth on his hands and feet. He saw his rags. He saw his penitent look. He saw what he had been. He saw what he was. He saw what he would soon be. Again. He sees all our past, our present, and our future. There's nothing hid from you. There's not from him. There's absolutely nothing about you that is hidden, yet his heart is fully towards you. It's not less towards you because you've added to a very bad list. Hidden though it may be at times. His heart has not changed in his position of mercy. He doesn't take time to consider how he's going to show his love to those prodigals that enter into a repentance. That was all done in an eternal covenant. Calvary has prepared for your return. He doesn't even have to think about it. It's already paid for. It's like a paved highway of grace. Everything for your return has been prepared by the cross of Jesus Christ. The first kiss is love truly felt. God's love, God's love will never be like a Judas kiss. It won't have any betrayal in it. If he promises you mercy, he gives you mercy. If he says he loves you, it is without fault, that love. God's love does not have within it any betrayal, no hypocrisy. It is perfect. There is no hypocrisy with God. When you come to God needing the mercy of God, and we all do, you're going to find out how much God really does love this world and how much he really does love you. He's not going to frequent much time upon your list. He knows your list intimately. He knew your list before Calvary. He knew your list before the foundation of the world. He knew your list. He didn't act towards us according to that list, though. He acted in love. This kind of love of God is something that you can actually trust in the nth degree. And why that is is because this wasn't just a love expressed from the basis of what you would bring to him because you don't bring anything to God. 
God brings everything to you. Everything. It's not that there is this, this thing about God's love that somehow he's going to uh, receive something that is he needs from you. His love, in fact, tells us how costly true love is. It was all voluntary. It was only because he loved us that that love resident within his son was displayed upon a cross in which he became flesh that he might die for our sins and take upon him the burden and to be forsaken by his father with every sin that this world could possibly produce. All men stand within the same advantage of mercy. But not all will live in it or receive it. Many hearts decide to stay in the far land. God's love still loves them. You may have been in a far land a long time yourself. You may have parts of you that are really far away from God. You may be a believer and have areas of your heart that are so far from God and you know that they are. And yet God still gives you the same love. He doesn't in any way condition it towards you. The second kiss is forgiveness. The prodigal had many sins to confess. But before he could even get any details on his sins, his father had forgiven him. Sometimes, you know, we want to work up the big confession and get to every detail of sin. But I want you to know, as healthy as it can be to own everything and take advantage of ownership of that, you must understand God's result in this is that he already is hugging his son before he hears his confession because his son has returned to that embrace and that kiss. He was kissed before he could say all of that he needed to own. In fact, confession after the kiss, the embrace, the return home becomes powerful in our life as we work at the cleansing and the adjustment and the, and the growth that is needed in our lives. But the love of God was on display in the very first moments. Confession of sin after forgiveness. Forgiveness first. God wasn't going to keep any part of the list and wait for your confession. He hasn't hung on to even one part of the list, folks. He's not got that hang-on list that you've got from the things you regret and wish. He doesn't have that. That list doesn't exist in the way that he has forgiven you. The next kiss is the kiss of, rest, the kiss of restoration. This kiss, it was saying, you are my son. Your family, 
You have experienced this kiss in your life more than likely. Restoration. So many stories where a child has gone awry, a girl went astray. But when she comes home, you gladly welcome her. Or one of your boys runs away and you don't hear for years and you're brokenhearted and then one day there's the return and the place in your heart and in your home which has always been ready is now occupied. You understand that kiss. Many of you have had the privilege of giving that to wayward children. In fact, it's something that we look forward to, isn't it? It's a kiss of restoration. That he doesn't just forgive us, he restores us. He takes us and says, this is what I've always intended for you to be. I've always wanted you to rise above these challenges of your life, to rise into a life of a God-honoring uh, lifestyle that's going to bring glory to me. I've always wanted you to live the best that I've had for you. The kiss of restoration. Make sure you're good at it with your children. Make sure you're good at it with your spouses. Make sure you're good at it with the friends of your life. Make sure you're good at it with the enemies of your life. Make sure you are good at these kisses because God is perfect in them. Then there's the kiss of, com kiss of comfort. This, this overwhelming kind of comfort. Now I want you to picture this young man coming back. Probably hasn't taken him that long to go through the wad. He had a lot of help from the people that quickly came around him. And here he is returning from this far country. You know his diet has been less than stellar. He's going to be hungry. He's going to be faint physically. Uh, he's going to look awful. He's going to have all of the road, uh, can we say, filth and dirt on him, plus what he started out with. Um, and he wouldn't have had a whole lot of heart in him anymore. More or less, yeah, he was at his low point, a huge low point. Hunger had stolen his energy. His conscience and his, his being so conscious of his guilt had robbed him of even the courage to face his father that he would struggle with. So his father gives him a kiss. As much to say, come boy. Come. See, I love you, boy. And I'm glad you're home. Oh, the boy probably would say, as you probably would say, when you're faced with that kind of extravagant kiss of comfort. Oh, but the past. Father, my past. The wasted years. The moans. Oh. 
he would no sooner say that than the father would kiss him again. Never mind the past. I've forgotten all about that. That's how he's forgiven you, believer. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your past is under the blood of Jesus Christ. It is washed. You literally whiter than snow. You see, the fact is, is that oftentimes we like to reflect on the past and there's no good news back there because we all recognize how flawed we are. Or perhaps this young guy, maybe he looked at his dirty presentation, the filth that he was covered in. And maybe he would say the present. Father, the present. And the father would just give another kiss. I'm so glad you're home. I'm just so glad you're home. the boy might have looked at the future and said father I have ruined it all how can I even trust myself father I could disappoint you again I could rip your heart again Then would come another holy kiss from his father. And maybe his father would say to him on that momentous occasion with his arms wrapped around his neck, oh son, I will see to the future. Maybe he would speak the words of Ezekiel the prophet and he would say, a new heart I will give you. A new spirit I will put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Whatever trouble was troubling the son. The father would have a kiss to set him right. Another kiss is the kiss of assurance. Sometimes the devil says to me, as he probably says to you, you are no child of God. I think one of the best tactics you can take with that is to just give up answering them. 
It'd just be a waste of time. He's a crafty old liar. He's good at it. Instead, remember when you first opened your life to Jesus Christ. Remember the first moments of his entry into your heart. Remember when he walked in and became a resident in your soul as you opened your heart by simple faith. Remember the touch upon you. Remember what it felt like to have the burden that had been getting greater and greater lifted from your shoulders and your heart. Remember your response to the words of forgiveness. And be assured. Finally, the words of communion. The kiss of communion. Intimate communion. It says his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him much. Mwah, 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 mwah. This happened before any kind of fellowship with family, friends, or servants. This was something special between the father and the son. A moment in time that was just theirs. That's needed in our life. A time when we know the Father's kisses that we've deserved, <coughs> not one of them, but we have received them because of his heart, his love for you, for me. You see, there was another one in that family. You recall? <clears throat> An elder brother. Jesus had brought the elder brother into the story to typify the religious people that were listening to this story. <clears throat> the party has begun. The father is filled with such joy, such joy. Amazing joy. He's so excited. Can you imagine the kind of excitement? Yeah, I think you can. Because you probably have had some instances where this has sort of given you a little window into this party moment, this joy moment. I know you felt I missed a blank, but just throw joy in there. Because this is the father's response. He is so filled with joy that his son has come home that he throws this great big party and I can just see how this is happening. He would see his son across the room. The, the fatted calf has been butchered. The meat is already done. Everybody's having a great big party. Neighbors and friends have now all arrived. And the father, he just can't help it. He just can't help himself. He just keeps looking across the room and to his young, son 
Oh, I can see him walking over to his son and just say, oh, son. And the party continues. And then he gazes at him again. And again goes over. You've been there. You've been where you've welcomed somebody. Maybe they were near death. Maybe it was somebody like this, say, gone away from the family. Maybe whatever friendship has been rekindled, the joy. But take this to the nines. This is where the father's heart is as he glances across these kinds of rooms in your life. And as he throws a party over you, there is joy in his heart over you. He is glad and filled with joy about you. You say, but. No, no, remember the past, remember the present, remember the future. So at this party, the eldest boy is coming out from the fields. He's been about the business of the farm. And he hears the ruckus. There's a servant outside. He asks him, what's going on? He is told the very great news. That his younger brother is not dead, but rather he has returned alive and is now home. And the father has killed the fatted calf. And there's a great big party welcoming him back. Now the older son doesn't walk in and go and fall on the neck of his younger brother and kiss him and said, I knew you'd return. I knew you'd be back. I have waited for this moment. I have looked for this day. No, there is no joy in this, in this heart. In fact, nothing but anger based on the self-centered approach to life, where there is this nice facade that seems to go over well within the culture in which he lives. He's a hard worker. It's all about business. But he's got a heart of ice. Friendly enough, I'm sure, to those that are friends. That is not our model. That is not our mentor. Christ is our model and he is our mentor. You know the story, I think. The father pleads with the son. He pleads with this older son. He said, son, come on in. We thought he was dead. He's alive. Help. Could that kind of love get missed? Only by choice. Only by choice. I put a question at the bottom of your notes being Remembrance Day weekend. It seemed quite appropriate. What are you willing to fight for? This older son certainly wasn't willing to fight for the younger son. What are you willing to fight for? What are you willing to pay costs for? The, old, the father? I almost said the old man. That wouldn't have gone over too well. 
The Father? He was fighting every day for that son, keeping him alive in his heart and in his prayers and in his mind and in his expectations, waiting for this day, waiting for this moment. What are you willing to fight for? Your family, as long as it works out. Your children, as long as... What are you willing to fight for? Because what you're willing to fight for says a lot about your heart. The older son was willing to fight for not giving the younger son any more of this farm. He gets no more cut. Jesus is 12 years old in this next scripture. We go from his birth and then his, where he is circumcised and taken to the temple and then we basically go from that moment after their return to Nazareth, we go from that moment 12 years later and it says that every year that Joseph and Mary would return with Jesus and the family to the Passover to Jerusalem. He's now 12 years old, which is, in Jewish mindset next year's adult time. And he's at the temple. They come down always in these great big caravans of friends and neighbors and family and villagers. And it's just one great big party between wherever their home is and Jerusalem and going back. And it was a time they set aside that it would just be a blast. And as they are returning after Passover, they happen to notice after two days, that Jesus is not with them. Now, how do you do that for two days? Well, you have to understand the culture. You have to understand the community. They're all having this party. Everybody's looking after everybody else. They're not, they're not like, it's not like, whoa, I can't trust my neighbors down the street. This is, hey, we're all together here. And they are on this journey. And they think that he's just somewhere out there. They search, they can't find him. So they return to Jerusalem. They get back to Jerusalem. They're looking for Jesus. And when they're looking for Jesus, they finally, after a couple days, find him. A couple days. And they find him in the temple. And in the temple, he's in there having these discussions with all of the great theological leaders of their time. And they're amazed at him. Well, of course. And so they come and Mary says, Jesus? She only gets to do this, right? Jesus? Didn't you know that we would be all kinds of, we were anxious for all these days? She's getting a little heated under the collar about this. And Jesus' response to her was what you're going to read right now. And he said unto them, how is it that you sought me? Old English, wist not you, didn't you figure it out? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? What an interesting phrase. He's 12 years old and he's already got a full handle on everything. Like, 
This is amazing. And it says the spirit of wisdom had grown on him. And basically, he was formed into being our lamb, God in the flesh. And he's saying, wouldn't you have just kind of figured it out here? I got to be about my father's business. That must have been quite a moment for Joseph and Mary because at that point in time, they know the story. They know that this is God's son. They understand that. But they are the ones that have been raising him and putting food on the table and training him in carpentry. And they've been the ones with that hands-on daily experience of nurture. But here now, they are faced with something totally different. They are faced now with a Jesus that has emerged that is stating to them, I know why I'm here. Fully. I'm here to do my father's business. So what is the father's business then? Here's the big question. What is the father's business? We just covered it in the whole first part of this message. People that are far from God. That's the Father's business. He has come. He has sent His Son. His Son is carrying out the Father's business and He still carries it out today. Are we about the Father's business or are we about the older Son's business in building up the things that surround us, including the farms, including the structures of life, including everything that seems to be what life is about, or are we about the Father's business? And it is at moments like this when kisses should be given but are withheld that we figure out something very much about our own hearts and how far we may have slipped and slid from our Father's own heart. And he pleads with us. Come into the party. Be about my business. So much more to be said, but we are not going to be saying it today. Aren't you so grateful for the kisses of God That he has kissed your life in all these different ways. That he has given you a true love. That he has given you forgiveness. That he has given you the kiss of restoration. A kiss of comfort and assurance. And a kiss of communion and a kiss of joy. Isn't it something that he has given you these kisses? Every time in every one of those, he's meeting a need that you have in you and he's just giving you the kiss because it's the kiss that sets everything right. No servant in that household could ever say this is some damaged son that will never uh, get to the point at which he was before that has no future. No servant in that household could say this son is not deserving of anything. They could not make any other story except the father kissed him because that's the son's story now. The father kissed him. He is now restored fully to being the son. And he has intimate communion with the father. 
And he has the comfort of the Father's wisdom and guidance in his life and the assurance of the Father's faithfulness to him that he will not give him any kind of false kind of narrative in life. He has felt a love that is truly real. It is that which you can trust. He has received a forgiveness that has been complete. He has been restored to something that he thought could never happen, even in his own envisioning of life. He could only see himself as a servant at best. That was the best he could hope for. A warm bed, food in his belly, and clothes on his back, and then assigned labor. And he received the kiss of restoration. There is such joy in God towards you, folks. But if you really want to live a life that is really feeding into the Father's joy, this is the one thing that you want to make sure you get. Be a good kisser. Oh, I better finish that one off a little bit. Of those who don't deserve it. Let's stand together. Fathers, we bow our heads. We want to thank you that you are there for us, that the eyes of mercy are so much quicker than, the, than, than seeing things than just the eyes, Lord, of, of repentance, Lord. That, that you, Lord, see us so much faster. We can be slow coming to get things right with you. But you are not slow towards us. Lord, you have proven that. You have given what you have, the very best you have for us. Your heart has been tested. Your heart is for us, not against us. Father, I pray that you will speak to hearts even right here that may have been Christian a long time, but they have settled into the doldrums of just doing the business of the farm and have lost the Father's vision. I pray that that would be restored. That there would be a heart that again beats strong for the business of our Father. That we run into the house when we hear a younger one has come home. That our prayers have been energized for them when they are away. That we have been in the acts of mercy Father I really pray that you'll just grab our hearts and put them once again on the track and on the trail of a love for people to be right with God Almighty through Jesus every head bowed every eye closed if you're here today and you know you're far away from God But you don't want to be. The moment your feet turn in the right direction, 
Don't be somebody that has the right intention sitting in a far land. Be somebody that is set out on the road to come home. And how do you do that? Pick it up as you are. Bring what you are. And you just come and ask for the mercy that is so quick to come. To do that, a little prayer, a receiving of Jesus Christ into your heart as your Savior, your forgiver, trusting Him with your restoration, letting Him have your whole life without reserve, nothing being held back. And if you'd like to receive Christ, I'll give you a little prayer to do so. In the quietness of your heart, you would say something along this line, Father, I'm going to trust your heart. I'm going to prove your heart of mercy towards me by turning towards you. I don't intend to. I am doing it. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me for my many sins. I thank you that the cross of Jesus Christ has made payment for those sins. As much as I understand that, I receive that mercy and that grace. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you will now put your Holy Spirit within me so that you can direct me and lead me. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572, or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.